everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. This episode, we finish reading The Most Dangerous Game by Richard Connell. Um, part one was released uh, two episodes ago. So um, I've had a good time reading it so far. Um, I expect the finish to be pretty good. So yeah, hopefully you heard part one and now we can include this either novel, short story, whatever it's uh, properly classified as today, and we can, uh, yeah, see see what is left for Mr. Rainsford in this tale. Now, <clears throat> where we left off from here was uh, Rainsford was asking um, General Zaroff um, if there are any options, and uh, General Zaroff replies <clears throat> sorry for some reason my, my throat is very dry even though maybe it's like dust in here and the general replies to mr rainsford that invariably they choose the hunt and so now we continue with mr rainsford reply and we just continue with the novel here we go and if they win the smile on the general's face widened to date i have not lost he said then he added hastily I don't wish you to think me a braggart, as my mic, as my freaking mouse dies. Now I'm not turning the pages. There we go. I don't wish you to think me a braggart, Mr. Rainsford. Many of them afford only the most elementary sort of problem. Occasionally, I strike a tartar. One almost did win. I eventually had to use the dogs. The dogs? This way, please. I'll show you. The general steered Rainsford to a window. The lights from the window sent a flickering illumination that made grotesque patterns on the courtyard below, and Rainsford could see moving about there a dozen or so huge black shapes. As they turned toward him, their eyes glittered greenly. A rather good lot, I think, observed the general. They are let out at seven every night. If anyone should try to get into my house or out of it, something extremely regrettable would occur to him. He hummed a snatch of song from Folie Berger. And now, said the general, I want to show you my new collection of heads. Will you come with me to the library? I hope, Mr. said Rainsford, that you will excuse me tonight, General Zaroff. I'm really not feeling well. Indeed. The general inquired solicitously. Well, I suppose that's only natural after your long swim. You need a good, restful night's sleep. Tomorrow you'll feel like a new man, I'll wager. Then we'll hunt, eh? I've one rather promising prospect. Rainsford was hurrying from the room. Sorry, you can't go with me tonight, called the general. I expect rather fair sport. A big, strong black. He looks resourceful. Well, good night, Mr. Rainsford. I hope you have a good night's rest. The bed was good in the pajamas of the softest silk, and he was tired in every fiber of his being. But nevertheless, Rainsford could not quite quiet his brain with the opiate of sleep. He lay, eyes wide open. Once he thought he heard stealthy steps in the corridor outside the room. He sought to throw open the door. It would not open. He went to the window and looked out. His room was high was high up in one of the towers. The lights of the chateau were out now, and it was dark and silent. But there was a fragment of swallow moon of sallow moon, and by its wan light he could see dimly the courtyard. There, weaving in and out in the pattern of the shadow were black, noiseless forms. The hounds heard him at the window and looked up, expectantly, with the green eyes. Rainsford went back to the bed and lay down. By many methods, he tried to put himself to sleep. He achieved a doze when, 
Just as morning began to come, he heard, far off in the jungle, the faint report of a pistol. General Zaroff did not appear until luncheon. He was dressed faultlessly in the tweeds of a, co of a country squire. He was solicitous about the state of Rainsford's health. As for me, said the general, I do not feel so well. I am worried, Mr. Rainsford. Last night I detected traces of my old complaint. To Rainsford's questioning glance, the general said, Ennui. Boredom. Then, taking a second helping of Crep, the general explained, The hunting was not good last night. The fellow lost his head. He made a straight trail that offered no problems at all. That's a problem with these sailors. They have dull brains to begin with, and they do not know how to get about in the woods. They do excessively stupid and obvious things. It's most annoying. General, said Rainsford firmly, I wish to leave this island at once. The general raised his thickets of eyebrows. He seemed hurt. But my dear fellow, the general protested, you've only just come. I wish to go today, said Rainsford. He saw the dead black eyes of the general on him, studying him. General Zarao's face suddenly brightened. He filled Rainsford's glass with venerable Chablis from a dusty bottle. Tonight, said the general, we will hunt, you and I. Rainsford shook his head. No, general, I will not hunt. The general shrugged his shoulders and del delicately ate a hothouse grape. As you wish, my friend, he said. The choice rests entirely with you. But may I not venture to suggest that you will find my idea of sport more diverting than Ivan's? He nodded toward the corners where the giant stood, scowling, his thick arms his thick arms crossed on his hog hog's head of chest. You don't meet, cried Rainsford. My dear fellow, said the general. Have I not told you I always mean what I say about hunting? This is really an inspiration. I drink to a for a foeman a foeman worthy worthy of my steel, at last. The general raised his glass, but Rainsford sat staring at him. You'll find this game worth playing, the general said enthusiastically. Your brain against mine. Your woodcraft against mine. Your strength and stamina against mine. It's outdoor chess. And if I win, Rainsford asked huskily, I'll cheerfully acknowledge myself defeat if I do not find you by midnight of the third day, said Joseph. My sloop will place you on the mainland near a town. The general read what Rainsford was thinking. Oh, you can trust me, said the Cossack. I will give you my word as a gentleman and a sportsman. Of course, you, in turn, must agree to say nothing of your visit here. I'll agree to nothing of the kind, said Rainsford. Oh, said the general. In that case, well, why discuss that now? Three days hence we can discuss it over a bottle of Vive Clicquot. <laughs> Unless, the general sipped his wine. Then a business-like air animated him. Ivan, he said to Rainsford, will supply you with hunting clothes, food, and a knife. I suggest you wear moccasins. They leave a poor trail. I suggest, too, that you avoid the big swamp in the southeast corner of the island. We call it Death Swamp. There's quicksand there. One foolish fellow tried it. The, deplor the deplorable part of it was that, I lo that Lazarus followed him. You can imagine my feelings, Mr. Rainsford. I loved Lazarus. He was the finest hound in my pack. Well, I must beg you to excuse me now. I always take a siesta after lunch. You'll hardly have time for a nap, I fear. You'll want to start, no doubt. I shall not follow until dusk. Hunting at night is so much more exciting than by day, don't you think? Au revoir, Mr. Rainsford. Au revoir. General Zaroff, with a deep, courtly bow, strolled from the room.
From another door came Ivan. Under one arm he carried khaki hunting clothes, a haversack of food, a leather sheath containing a long-bladed hunting knife. His right hand rested on a cocked revolver thrust in the crimson sash about his waist. Rainsford had fought his way through the brush for two hours. I must keep my nerve, he said through his tight teeth. He said through tight teeth. He had not been entirely clear-headed when the chateau gate snapped shut behind him. His whole idea first was to put distance between him and General Zeroff, and to this end he had plunged along, spurred on by the sharp rowers of something very like panic. Now he had got a grip of himself, had stopped, and was taking stock of himself in the situation. He saw that straight flight was futile. Inevitably, it would bring him face to face with the sea. He was in a picture with a frame of water, and his operations clearly must take place within that frame. I'll give him a trail to follow, muttered Rainsford, and he struck off into the rude path he had been following into the trackless wilderness. He executed a series of intricate loops. He doubled on his trail again and again, recalling all the lore of the fox hunt and all the dodges of the fox. Night found him leg-weary, with hands and face lashed by the branches on a thickly wooded ridge. He knew it would be insane to blunder on through the dark, even if he had the strength. His need for rest was imperative, and he thought, I have played the fox, now I must play the cat of the fable. A big tree with a thick trunk and outspread branches were nearby, and, taking care not to leave the slightest mark, he climbed up into the crotch and stretching out on one of the broad limbs. Rainsford rested. Rest brought him a new confidence and almost a feeling of security. Even so zealous a hunter's Jones Zeroff could not trace him here, he told himself. Only the devil himself could follow that complicated trail through the jungle after dark. But perhaps the general was the devil. An apprehensive night crawled slowly by like a wounded snake, and sleep did not visit Rainsford, although the silence of a dead world was on the jungle. Toward morning, when a dingy, gray was varnishing the sky. The cry of some startled bird focused Rainsford's attention in that direction. Something was coming through the brush, through the bush, coming slowly, carefully, coming by the same winding way Rainsford had come. He flattened himself down the limb, and through a screen of leaves, almost as thick as tapestry, he watched. That what that which was approaching was a man. It was General Zaroff. He made his way along with his eyes fixed in utmost concentration on the ground before him. He paused, almost beneath the tree, dropped to his knees and studied the ground. Rainsford's impulse was to hurl himself down like a panther, but he saw that the general's right hand held something metallic, a small automatic pistol. The hunter shook his head several times as if he were puzzled. Then he straightened up and took from his case one of his black cigarettes. Its pungent, incense-like smoke floated up to Rainsford's nostrils. Rainsford held his breath. The general's eyes had left the ground and were traveling inch by inch up the tree. Rainsford froze there, every muscle tensed for a spring. But the sharp eyes of the hunter stopped before they reached the limb where Rainsford lay. A smile spread over his brown face. Very deliberately, he blew a smoke ring into the air. Then he turned his back on the tree and walked carelessly away, back along the trail he had come. The swish of the underbrush against his hunting boots grew fainter and fainter. The pent-up air burst hotly from Rainsford's lungs. His first, his first thought made him feel sick and numb. The general could follow a trail through the woods at night. He could follow an extremely difficult trail. 
He must have uncanny powers. Only by the nearest chance had the Cossack failed to see his quarry. Rainsford's second thought was even more terrible. It sent a shudder of cold horror through his whole being. Why had the general smiled? Why had he turned back? Rainsford did not want to believe what his reason was telling him to be true, but the truth was as evident as the sun that had by now pushed through the morning mists. The general was playing with him. The general was saving him for another day's sport. The Cossack was a cat. He was the mouse. Then it was that rain it was then it was that Rainsford knew the full meaning of terror. I will not lose my nerve. I will not. He slid down from the tree and struck off again into the woods. His face was set in the forest, and he forced the machinery of his mind to function. Three hundred yards from his hiding place, he stopped where a huge dead tree leaned precariously on a smaller living one. Throwing off his sack of food, Rainsford took his knife from its, seat, from its sheath and began to work with all the, his energy. The job was finished at last, and he threw himself down behind a fallen log a hundred feet away. He did not have to wait long. The cat was coming again to play with the mouse. Following the trail with, his, with the sureness of a bloodhound came General Zaroth. Nothing escaped those searching black eyes, no crushed blades of grass, no bent twig, no mark, no matter how faint, in the mouse. So intent was a Cossack on his stocking that he was upon the thing Rainsford had made before he saw it. His foot touched the protruding bow that was the trigger. Even as he touched the general sensed his danger and leaped back with the agility of an ape. But he was not quite quick enough. The dead tree delicately adjusted to rest on the cut living one, crashed down and struck the general, a glancing blow on his shoulder as it fell. But for his alertness, he must have been smashed beneath it. He staggered but did not fall, nor did he drop his revolver. He stood there, rubbing his injured shoulder, and Rainsford, with fear again gripping his heart, heard the general's mocking laugh ring through the jungle. Rainsford, called the general, if you are within sound of my voice, as I suppose you are, let me congratulate you. Not many men know how to make a Malay man-catcher. Luckily for you, luckily, sorry, luckily for me, I, too, have fun in Malacca. You are proving very interesting, Mr. Rainsford. I am going now to have my wound dressed. It's only a slight one, but I shall be back. I shall be back. When the general, nurse, with, when the general nursing his bruised shoulder had gone, Rainsford took up his flight again. It was flight now. A desperate, hopeless flight that carried him on for some hours. Dusk came, then darkness, and still he pressed on. The sound grew softer under his moccasins. The vegetation grew ranker, denser. Insects bit him savagely. Then, as he stepped forward, his foot sank into the ooze. He tried to wrench it back, but the muck sucked viciously as his foot, as if it were a giant leech. With a violent effort, he tore his feet loose. He knew where he was now. Death swamp and its quicksand. His hands were tight closed as if his nerve as if his nerve were something tangible that someone in the darkness was trying to tear from his grip. The softness of the earth had given him an idea an idea. He stepped back from the quicksand a dozen feet or so, and, like some huge prehistoric beaver, he began to dig. Rainsford had dug himself in in France when a second's delay meant death. That had been a placid pastime compared to his digging now. The pit grew deeper. When it was above his shoulders, he climbed out, and from some hard saplings cut, st sh cut stakes and sharpened them to a fine point. These stakes he planted in the bottom of the pit with a point sticking up. 
With flying fingers, he wove a rough carpet of weeds and branches, and with it he covered the mouth of the pit. Then, wet with sweat and aching with tiredness, he crouched behind the stump of a lightning-charred tree. He knew his pursuer was coming. He heard the padding sound of feet on the soft earth, and the night breeze could and the night breeze brought him the perfume of the general, general cigarette. It seemed to Rainsford that the general was coming with unusual swiftness. He was not feeling his way along, foot by foot. Rainsford, crouching there, could not see the general, nor could he see the pit. He lived a year and a minute. Then he felt an impulse to cry loud with joy, for he heard the sharp crackle of the breaking branches as the cover of the pit gave way. He heard the sharp scream of pain as he pointed sticks, found their mark. He leaped up from his place of concealment, then he cow cowered back. There, feet from the pit, a man was standing, with an electric torch in his hand. "'You've done well, Rainsford,' the voice of his general called. "'Your business tiger pit, your, excuse me, Burmese tiger pit, has claimed one of my best dogs. Again you score, I think, Mr. Rainsford. I'll see what you can do against my whole pack. I'm going home for a rest now. Thank you for a most amusing evening.' At daybreak, Rainsford, lying near the swamp, was wakened by a sound that made him know that he had new things to learn about fear. It was a distant sound, faint and wavering, but he knew it. It was the bang of a pack of hounds. Rainsford knew he could do one of two things. He could stare where he was and wait. That was suicide. He could flee. That was postponing the inevitable. For a moment he stood there thinking. An idea that held a wild chance came to him and, tightening his belt, he headed away from the swamp. The baying of the hounds drew nearer, then still nearer, nearer, ever nearer. On a ridge, Rainsford climbed a tree. Down a watercourse, not a quarter of a mile away, he could see the bush moving. Standing his eyes, he saw the lean figure of General Zaroff. Just ahead of him, Rainsford made out another figure whose wide shoulders surged through the tall jungle weeds. It was the giant Ivan, and he seemed pulled forward by some unseen force. Rainsford knew that Ivan must be holding the pack in leash. They would be on him any minute now. His mind worked frantically. He thought of a native trick he had learned in Uganda. He slid down the tree. He caught hold of a springy young sapling, and to it he fastened his hunting knife, with the blade pointing down the trail. With a bit of wild grapevine, he tied back the sapling. Then he ran for his life. The hounds raised their voices as they hit the fresh scent. Rainsford knew now how an animal at bay feels. He had stopped to get his breath. The baying of the hound stopped abruptly, and Rainsford's heart stopped too. They must have reached the knife. He shinned excitably up a tree and looked back. His pursuers had stopped, but the hope that was in Rainsford's brain when he climbed died, for he saw in the shallow valley that General Zerump was still on his feet, but Ivan was not. The knife, driven by the recoil of the springing tree, had not wholly failed. Rainsford had hardly tumbled to the ground when the pack took up the cry again. Nerve, 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 he panted. As he dashed along, a blue gap showed between the trees dead ahead. Even nearer drew the hounds. Rainsford forced himself on toward the gap, and he reached it. It was a shore of the sea. Across a cove he could see the gloomy gray stone of the chateau. Twenty feet below him the sea rumbled and hissed. Rainsford hesitated. He heard the hounds, then he leaped far out into the sea. When the general and his pack reached the place by the sea, the Cossacks stopped. For some minutes he stood, regarding the blue-green expanse of water. He shrugged his shoulders. Then he sat down, took a drink of brandy from a silver flask, lit a cigarette, and hummed a bit of Madame Butterfly.
General Zaroth had an exceedingly good dinner in his great paneled dining hall that evening. With it, he had a bottle of Paul Roger and half a bottle of Chambertine. Two slight annoyances kept him from the perfect enjoyment. One was that he thought it would be difficult to replace Ivan. The other was that his quarry had escaped him, of course. The American had to play the game, so the general, as he tasted his after-dinner liquor, thought the general as he was sick, sipping his after-dinner liquor. In his library, he read to soothe himself from the works of Marcus Aurelius. At ten, he went up to his bedroom. He was deliciously tired, he said to himself as he locked himself in. There was a little moonlight, so before turning on his light, he went to the window and looked down at the courtyard. He could see the great hounds, and he called. Better luck n another time till then. Then he switched on the light. A man who had been hiding in the curtains of the bed was standing there. Rainsford, said the general. How in God's name did you get here? Swam, said Rainsford. I found it quicker than walking through the jungle. The general sucked in his breath and smiled. I congratulate you, he said. You have won the game. Rainsford did not smile. I am still a beast at bay, he said in a low, hoarse voice. Get ready, General Zaroth. The general made one of his deepest bows. I see. Splendid. One of us is to finish, is to furnish a repast for the hounds. The other will sleep in his very excellent bed. On guard, Rainsford. He had never slept in a better bed, Rainsford decided. And that was it. That's the end of the most dangerous game. It's um, obviously a little bit morbid of a story, I guess. Um, but really interesting. I had a really good time reading it, even though uh, the text um, from this ebook that I'm reading from are kind of small and, you know, I wouldn't say I'm uh, particularly adept um, reader at, you know, and, 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 you know, I mean, I can read okay, I think, but I'm not the best at, you know, being able to, like, you know, change my voice and, you know, sort of hit different inflection points and all that. But anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed The Most Dangerous Game. That was part two. That was the end of book or novel short story whatever it is if you have any comments any suggestions any questions you can always reach me at hello at sleep and relax asmr.com always help out the show by donating through our website sleep and relax asmr.com or through patreon or by following us on tingles the very popular asmr app that's all for this episode thanks as always for listening and take care